As I set up here, I want to encourage you to take out your uh, programs, and in there you will find a connection card. It is a white and orange card. If you would take a minute and fill that out, that would be uh, helpful for us to stay in touch with you this week. And if you are a guest here with us, that would give us an opportunity to welcome you to the church. After the service, feel free to uh, simply leave that on the pews, and the ushers will come and uh, pick those up after the service. I have a couple announcements that I want to highlight today before, we, before I introduce our preacher for the day. First of all, I want to welcome uh, Roy and Nancy Toma. Roy and Nancy, could you stand up that we could welcome you? Are they? Okay. Roy and Nancy are missionaries that we support, missionaries to Japan, and they are here in the States uh, on a short break, their, their daughter was able to, uh, they were blessed to have their daughter get married here a couple weeks ago, and that truly is a blessing to a good godly man, they said, and so that is wonderful news, and uh, they are now also in the process of visiting colleges for their son, Joseph, who's uh, here today, and uh, as he prepares to graduate and looks, looks towards uh, furthering his education. So, they will be around all afternoon if you want to say hi to them or hear more about what, what's going on in their ministry. They'll be here during lunchtime and feel free to say hello and, and uh, ask them some questions. Also, in terms of so, uh, s- some announcements, we have two memorial services this week in, the, in our church. First of all, for, Ma- uh, for Maki, Mirya Hero who is Joy Koba's father. The memorial service will be Thursday, this Thursday, 10.30 here at the church. And then for Mr. Kamatsu, who was the father of Shugo, Sheen, Susie, Kay, and, uh, and Kyoti. And his service will be Saturday, this Saturday, at 3 o'clock here at, this, at the church. So keep that in mind. I'm pretty sure that uh, that information is... Uh, no, that, in, that information is not printed in the bulletin. So uh, Thursday, 10.30 for Joy Koba's father, and uh, Saturday, 11, or Saturday, 3 o'clock for Mr. Kamatsu. Also, in terms of announcements on the back of your bulletin, young marriage group today, 2 o'clock at Taishi and Jessica's house. Uh, Taishi gave you the, the uh, raise the roof sign here, so... Um, Talk to them if you, want to, if you need more information about address and those type of things. This Saturday is the Women's Walk, the historic L.A. Walk for the women's ministry. And so you can feel free to sign up for that back of that on the back of your uh, connection card. If you do that, please put your, some contact information, either an email or a phone number, so that we might be able to uh, give you any information along those lines. The Tuesday Bible study, the New Horizons uh, Bible study, will pick back up on August 16th. Uh, there, the choir is going to begin to rehearse for, thanks, for Thanksgiving, August Thursday night, August 25th. Uh, men's retreat is coming up. You can also uh, sign up for that on your connection card or on a sign-up sheet in the, in the foyer on the pretzel kiosk. And then there's sign-ups for the West Coast, or I mean for the West Covina 5K, which is October 8th, ways to volunteer to help out with that. Now, uh, lastly, let me, make a, let me plug our West Coast 
showcase because next week are auditions and we have very few signed up to audition. And so I want to highlight this because I hope that we are able to have this event. It is a fun night, something probably pretty uh, unique for what we do as a church where we are able to get together and just uh, do some fun things together, events that we've, uh, acts that we've had in the past. It's kind of a talent show. And so we've had people sing. We've had people do magic. We've had people do comedy. We've had um, people bring their artwork and display it in the foyer or bring cooked goods or baked goods and share with everyone here. And so it's wide open. And uh, I would encourage you to sign up. If you have more questions, talk to Tina, our worship leader. Tina, raise your hand, please. And, uh, 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 and the... Auditions will be next week. You'll sign up for an audition time. So keep that in mind. It's a fun time, and uh, I would love to be able to, for us to be able to have this event. You can sign up on the back of your connection card. If you do, again, leave us some contact information, or you can sign up for an audition time on the table in the foyer. Our preacher for this morning is J.R. Hun. J.R. is a member of our church, has been for several years. Started coming to the church when he got engaged to Susan, used to be Susan Kakimi, who grew up in our church, now Susan Hun, obviously. And, uh, and so it is a blessing for me to be able to introduce uh, him to us. I've gotten, to know, I've gotten to know JR very well through not only ministries, but just even personally. And so it is a blessing for me to, uh, to be able to introduce to him as coming to give our word this morning. The sermon is on hope. And one of the things that I really appreciate about JR, as I've gotten to know him personally, is sometimes in our Christian walks, we can kind of have things segmented, which means, you know, we have our work, our work life here and our family life here, our Christian life here. And one of the things that I am constantly challenged by with uh, J.R., is to bring it all under the reign of Jesus. And as we think about uh, Jesus being our hope, my prayer is that, uh, that as J.R. talks, we would recognize this not only from God's Word, but also from J.R.'s life as a man of God who has truly put all of his hope in God and in the good news of Jesus Christ. So would you with me welcome J.R. Hun? Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Pastor Corey. That was way more flattering of an introduction than I expected. I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe, maybe more jokes about me at my expense. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, well, good morning, uh, West Covina Christian Church. Uh, as Pastor Corey has said, my name is Jared Hunt. I'm very honored uh, to be sharing the word with you uh, today. This morning, we're going to be continuing our series on the Songs of Ascent uh, with Psalm 130. And before I go any further, uh, let me open this time in prayer. Lord God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Help us, O Spirit, to lay hold of your truths, to claim them for ourselves, that your word would encourage the discouraged, strengthen the weak, Convict the proud and bring hope to the hopeless. 
We pray that these truths may be renewed to seasoned hearers and a joy to those hearing and understanding for the first time. Teach us, convict us, and lead us to the joy of discovering you anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. Uh, so this, this is, this is, I've never done uh, something like this before. I've never uh, preached from the pulpit. I've never taught a sermon. And this, recently it feels like I've been doing a lot of things I've never done before. Uh, earlier, maybe like three weeks ago, uh, I officiated a wedding uh, for the first time. I'm not uh, ordained uh, by any means. I have no business officiating a wedding, uh, but I had relatives uh, who asked me to officiate, and I guess because they think I'm the most spiritual person they know, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how well they knew me before they asked. Um, and hopefully there's no legal trouble for the fact that I married them without having been ordained. I don't know. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> okay. uh, so for this wedding that I did, um, we did one really brief rehearsal that not even everyone was at who was supposed to be there. So I was a little bit nervous uh, about the actual uh, wedding. Now, fast forward to the day of the wedding, uh, and I think I looked pretty good. I think I looked pretty good. Uh, I felt pretty confident. Um, you know, we started the ceremony, and besides a really bad picture that was taken me, I don't, like, I don't know why the photographer was taking this picture. Like, why was he even in that position? I don't, I don't even know. But besides that picture, which is, it's, one of the most unflattering pictures that's ever been taken to me in history. Um, everything was going really smoothly until we got to uh, the exchange of rings. Now, I had never seen the rings before, uh, and you know the, the bride and groom were before me, and the groom hands me the rings, and I have them in my hand. I look at them, and I, I kind of double-took uh, and I was kind of uh, taken aback because the rings, they looked exactly the same. And I always assumed that, uh, you know, the, the bride's ring looks a little bit different from the groom's ring. Like maybe the bride's ring's thinner or like prettier and the groom's ring is like heavier and denser or thicker. You know, the styling is different. These rings looked exactly the same. And so everything had been going smoothly. And then I just had this deer in the headlights moment of, uh, and so I, I made it. I, I I made the best decision I could. I, I I just guessed a ring that looked it looked smaller, and I put it in the groom's hand. And the groom looked at the ring, and he looked back up at me, and he looked at the ring again, and he said, "He said, no, 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 it's the other ring." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So I take the ring back. You know, this is in front of all the attendants, and I take the ring back and. I made the only joke that made sense at the time, which is, well, it's my first time, so haha, like, I'm going to make mistakes. So I take the other ring that I didn't choose, and I gave it to the uh, groom, and he's about to slip it onto the bride's finger, and she stops him and says, no, 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 it was the other ring. It was the first ring that I chose. So, so everyone, everyone in, in attendance, you know, kind of laughed, and they were really amused, and I, I made the only joke that I could in that moment, which is, well, it's his first time, too, so it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, that whole Safu was 
It was a little bit stressful, but it worked out. And I tell this story all just to say, yeah, this is my first time too, so uh, please be kind. <laughs> so now that that's out of the way, uh, let's move forward with the sermon for this morning. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, or if you're forgetful like me, um, we have been journeying through a specific series of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Now, specifically in the Bible, that's Psalms 120 through 134. And these are psalms that were sung by the Israelites as they went on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. In the same way that we might have a favorite song that reminds us of a particular time in our life, you know, we turn it on in the cars we're driving, we just like get really excited, we remember, like our memories are, are flooded with a specific event. Uh, the Israelites sang these songs as they were on pilgrimage to worship but also to remind themselves about truths concerning the Lord. Today, the theme of that song and the theme of our sermon is hope. And that's Psalm 130. Now, I, I struggled uh, a lot as I worked on this sermon, um, because really, how can I talk about hope when, in many ways, the world seems filled with reasons to be dis in despair? You know, it seems like we live in troubled times. We live in a world beset by violence, violence against people of color, violence against law enforcement, violence that targets indiscriminately through terrorism, economic instability, and not just events in the world or in our nation, but in our own lives and in our own communities. Many of us struggle on a day-to-day -day basis with pain, sickness, relational brokenness. What sort of response, as Christians, does the Bible want us to have? How can anything written in a 2,000-year-old book be relevant to us and the world we live in today? What does hopeful living look like in the midst of trouble? The big idea statement uh, for this message uh, this morning is this. It's that even in troubled times, our lives can and should be marked by biblical hope that comes when we lay hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll say it again. We can have biblical hope in the midst of troubled times because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to go over three principles that we can learn from Psalm 130, by journeying alongside the psalmist. Let's open, go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 130, um, and we'll get into the passage. Psalm 130 says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas of mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. 
My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. As we go on this journey with the psalmist, we'll find that things in this psalm kind of start out desperately. You'll notice this psalm doesn't start out with flowery or, or beautiful language. There's no grand language here. Uh, in fact, this psalm starts in what's called the depths. Let's look at verse 1 and 2 again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice for my pleas of mercy. When we read the word depths, it at face value might not convey the same sense as it did to the readers of the original Hebrew text. As modern English readers, we might read the word depths and think, okay, maybe it's like a pit or a deep cave. Uh, it's a place where you sit there and time out. Okay. But for the original reader of the word, there's actually a much more desperate tone. There's a much more desperate sense to that word depths. It conveys the sense of being plunged into water, of falling into an abyss with no way out. And isn't that what pain and times of hopelessness feel like? Somewhere with no way out, no light on the horizon, can't see the glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel. You may feel that about the nation, the world, your community, a friend, or even a situation that you're in right now. One of the most beautiful and relevant aspects of the Bible is that it does not shy away from reality. There is a bluntness in honesty, a rawness to the writing in Scripture, unlike any holy book. And this is where we learn our first point on biblical hope from the psalmist. That point is, is that biblical hope starts with reality. Biblical hope starts with reality. Commentaries aren't specific about what the trouble is that's facing the psalmist, but what is clear in this psalm and throughout Scripture is that God knows that life is not easy. That it is, in fact, often filled with trouble. God knows. The Bible is very clear on this. Jesus himself says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. In Psalm 34, verse 19, it says, many are the afflictions of the righteous. And I am sure that there are some, perhaps even many in this room, who are dealing with trouble of that sort right now at this very moment. Conflict at home, job loss, broken relationships, disease, failing health, loss of a loved one. God tells his people that he knows our reality. 
He knows our trouble. He is not indifferent to our pain or our grief. He knows. And he wants to hear from us exactly where we're at and where you're at today, right now. Now let's look forward to the next point in our journey with the psalmist in verse 3 through 6. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, verse 3, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. In these verses, we see a dramatic turn in the language of the psalmist. He moves from saying, I can't see a way out. I am trapped. I don't know how long I can do this. He goes from there to, God, you forgive. I wait for you. You are my hope. I wait for you more than I wait for daylight. How powerful is that? What could possibly convince this writer to move beyond his sorrows, which seems so great? The answer to this question is that we should observe what the psalmist does not say. One thing he doesn't say or ask for is deliverance from his circumstances. He could, as many of us might, have asked for rain from heaven to grow his crops, lightning from on high to strike down those who've wronged him, or the bringing back of a loved one. But he doesn't ask for any of those things. Instead, he pivots to something that seems a little bit askew, aside from his pain. He turns to the gospel. And he doesn't call it the gospel. You won't see the word the gospel in the psalm. But look at the language that he uses in verses 3 through 6. If you mark iniquities, who could stand? The psalmist knows that he's a sinful man before a holy God. As Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Something else he says, with you, there is forgiveness. The psalmist also knows that when he seeks the Lord in repentance and faith, that God is quick to forgive. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that brings us to our second point today that we learn from Psalm 130. That is, that biblical hope finds its source in the gospel. Biblical hope finds its source in the gospel. How can we follow suit? How do we orient our hearts in the midst of sorrow to place the source of our hope in the gospel? For the purpose of this sermon, I just want to key into one particular phrase he says, a psalmist says in verse 5, and that is, in his word, I hope. One way, one very practical way that we can put our hope in his word 
is through the practice and discipline of remembering. Remembering has an important role for us. Um, Ten years ago, uh, a friend called me up out of the blue uh, and asked me if I wanted to serve as a cabin leader at a camp called Mount Hermon. Uh, I think they were maybe a couple weeks away from the start of that camp, and so I'm pretty sure they were desperate. You know, they had reached, like, the bottom of all the people that they asked, and then they came upon my name and decided, okay, I guess we'll call JR and see if he can help. Maybe not, I don't know. (laughs) But I agreed to do it, uh, and in my mind, as I agreed to do it, I, I made a resolution to myself. I resolved that, you know what? I'm going to expend as little energy as possible getting to know the other staff. Just as little energy as possible. I'm never going to see these people again, so I'm just not even going to try, like, at all. I just don't, it's not worth the effort. I just want to focus on the ministry. I want to focus on the kids. Those are the things that are the most important. And that was, you know, that's, you know, that's a positive attitude, right? Okay, maybe not. It's probably a really horrible attitude. But I, 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 went, I even went to one, the one training meeting that was left, um, and I made the lowest possible effort to say hi to anyone, to talk to anyone. Uh, people, in fact, even tried to invite me to go to dinner with them. They're, they were really kind people. And I just said, no, no thanks. I'm going to go home by myself and play video games or something. Uh, Such a positive attitude on my part. Uh, You know, ironically, one of those people who asked me to go out to dinner that night was someone named Susan. Um, And long story short, Susan is my wife now. Okay, and there's some amusing but fantastic faithfulness I see in how God took my horrible attitude, and this December, Susan and I will celebrate five years of being married. All right, that's, it's pretty amazing. I chose that picture. I chose that picture. You know, it's funny, at that same camp, uh, I also met, again, this is the same camp where I was like, I'm not going to try to meet anyone, I don't care, I'm just focused on the kids. At that same camp, I met uh, the guy who had become the best man in our wedding, and also many lifelong friends. And my point is, is when I take time to remember that, when I remember, there's something that happens. Uh, in me, uh, when I remember uh, God takes whatever state that I'm in, and he reminds me that he has been faithful. He reminds me that he is good, uh, that he is working, even if at the time his work was on the peripheral of my view. Maybe I couldn't, I couldn't, clearly I couldn't see it, otherwise I would have acted a lot nicer. Uh, But when you remember, and when I remember, we remember that, that God works even if we can't see it at the time. 
And God, through the Old Testament authors, constantly sought to remind the Israelites to remember, to remember how he had saved them. Remember how I saved you from slavery in Egypt. Remember how I saved you from the Assyrians. Remember how I delivered you from the Babylonians. This same concept carries forward into the New Testament in Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, where Paul exhorts Christians to remember, to remember their spiritual history. He says this, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. When we remember our spiritual history, we walk the path of the gospel itself. We remember that we deserve nothing but separation from God. And we remember of how Jesus Christ laid down his life, that he went down to the depths to rescue us. Now, remembering is one method and discipline towards setting our hope on the gospel. And there's one question that comes up, and that is, what if I can't do that, Jr.? Uh, what if I, I can't remember, or I don't want to remember? What if I don't believe that God is even with me at all anymore? Some of you uh, might be relating to those words this morning. I know I have. In response to that question, I just want to take a look briefly And you can write this verse down. We're not going to read it. uh, But Mark chapter 9, 14 through 27. Because of time, I'm going to paraphrase it for us. Um, But I think that this verse, this story, this encounter with Jesus, speaks very straightforwardly to those of us who maybe just can't. We struggle to believe. Mark chapter 9, 14 through 27, is an encounter with Jesus that opens in an unusual way. A father brings to Jesus his son. His son has suffered his entire life. Something that might look like epilepsy to us today. His son has seizures. He foams at his mouth. He loses control of his body. The unusual part of this story is that the disciples were supposed to be able to heal this son, but they couldn't. It's weird. You can sense the father's desperation as he comes to Jesus. Now I'm going to paraphrase this verse. The father comes to him and tells Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast out the demon in my son, but they couldn't. And Jesus says, well, bring, bring your son to me. And as they bring the son to Jesus, he immediately has a seizure. He immediately seizes up and falls down. And just imagine this playing out in your minds. Jesus looks at the father. He looks at the son. He looks at the father. And he says, how long has this been happening to him? You can almost 
see the good physician at work in that question by asking, how long has this been happening to him? The father answers that it has happened all his son's life. And you can see in the father's mind, you can connect with the father. He's tired. He's had to care for his son his entire life. His son, it's a struggle. He's tired. He doesn't know. And the father responds and says, if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus responds by saying that it is possible if you believe. And this is the pivotal moment that I want to focus on for us this morning. Is this father says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Help me with my unbelief. Jesus heals the son of his lifelong affliction at that point. The father is at the end of his rope in this story. He can't even bring himself to fully say that he believes. He knows. He can't, he's not even sure what's real anymore. Even though this father probably knew that Jesus had performed miracles, that Jesus was amazing, he'd probably heard all these stories, he struggles to even say that he believes. Sometimes we think that faith is a pass or fail kind of thing. It's all or nothing. But this verse says something different. For some in this room, our sorrow is so deep, our pain is so strong, and we don't know if we can believe anymore. And to you, I say this, that if you cry out, as the Father did, to help me with my unbelief, that God will answer you as he answered that Father. That he hears. As we begin to close out the message this morning, I want to close by addressing one last particular line of thinking. Uh, that is, is that how can, how can we trust the hope of the gospel? Some might say that the Bible is myth and smoke and mirrors. And to that line of thinking, I say that we must forcefully push back on that because we're all here because we believe that Jesus Christ was not just a wise teacher or a wise or a good man that he is the teacher he is the good physician who not only lived but he died and he did not only die but he was raised from the dead and this event over the course of the last 2,000 years, has stood the test of time, science, and skepticism. No one has disproven the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I say to you, brothers and sisters, if Jesus Christ is risen, then he really is God. And if he really is God, then every word in this book is true. Paul himself speaks to this, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 20, where he says that Christians, if, if the resurrection, if we can't believe that the resurrection is real, then this is a farce. We're wasting our time. Okay? But it's not. The resurrection is real, 
and it's all true. And I have a series of promises that I just want to show us. These things that are true because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. One, that God's love for us is loyal and unchanging. We see that in Psalm 130, verse 7. Two, that God will redeem and forgive those who seek him. See that in Psalm 130, verse 8. Three, that God will not forsake his people. And I'm going to read this one, Isaiah 42, 16. He says, And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things that I do, and I do not forsake them. Another one, that God promises to work for our good. Romans 8.28. Another one, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8.38-39. Another one, what he has begun in our lives, he will finish. Philippians 1.6. And the last one that I wanted to highlight, and there's a lot more, is that he will wipe away every tear. Revelations 21, 4 through 5 says this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. My last point for this message is this, is that biblical hope transcends our lives. Biblical hope transcends our lives. When we look at just how great How big, how outlandishly fantastic, and ultimately true our hope is in Christ, our outlook on everything changes. We will feel the pain of injustice in the world, but we will refuse to give in to despair and cynical thinking because we recognize that as God transforms us from old to new, that he will transform and change the world. When sorrow strikes our doorstep, we will weep, for there is a time for weeping. But we will not weep as those who have no hope, because we can and must cling to a God who tells us he is sovereign and who will wipe away every tear. And when we are in the abyss, When we are at our lowest, our despair the deepest, we can and we must wait for the Lord. More than we wait for the morning, more than we wait for the morning. Brothers and sisters, when we claim the hope that we have in the gospel, it will change our lives, it will change our outlook on our own sorrow and pain. It will change our families, our parenting, our communities. Ultimately, 
the hope of the gospel is what changes the world. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I don't know what pain or what grief or what sorrow um, is in this room. But Lord, we do know uh, that our hope is in you and that you are a hope that does not fail. And Lord, we ask that you would bring hope to the people in this room. We thank you for your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.